0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to our throwback episode. In our throwback episodes, we are reintroducing you to some of our most popular episodes. This is great for new listeners who want to learn more about the work we've done in the past, and it's a great refresher if you've been a listener for a long time. Enjoy. Well, let's jump into this topic. This is a topic we haven't talked about yet on the show. It's um, how to deal with people who are passive-aggressive. And uh, I think from one time to another, we've all had that experience. And it's one of those situations where something happens and then you say, is this really happening or am I making this up? <laughs> is this, is <laughs> exactly. this an attack or, or not? And so it kind of drives you a little bit crazy. And so I'm, I'm really excited to jump into this topic with you. So how about we just start off with an uh, operational definition for passive aggressiveness? What does that mean to you?
1: Well, to me, it means that you're keeping your needs and your wants a secret in some way, and you're holding them back. That's like on the internal. The external, you're acting in a way that makes you appear innocent or like, oh, there's nothing wrong, or, or even crossing over into being a bit of a martyr, you know, like, oh, I will do this for you because I love you, you know, kind of falling on your sword. So... You know, the passive part is like, I'm keeping whatever it is that's really important to me, to myself. The aggressive part is when you're acting out in some way that is actively concealing and almost sometimes even sabotaging what it is that the other person is, whatever it is that you are wanting to subvert from another person. I can give you an example, and this is just kind of a generic one, but let's say that you're worried about your partner. And you feel like your partner is drinking too much, for instance, and it's time to go to the store and they ask you, hey, would you, you know, add beer to the list? You say, okay, sure, you know, I can do that. And then you go to the store and like, oops, oh, I forgot. You know, you come home and they say, well, where's the beer? Oops, I must have forgotten. I was so busy, you know, doing these other things. That's a passive aggressive response (laughs) to what the partner is requesting. So your need and want is like, I want them to not drink so much. And when they ask for what they want, I say, you know, oh, sure, because I don't want to confront them on it. But then, oops, I forget to do what they're asking me, kind of sabotaging their interests, their wants. And I don't have to. So I, I win in that. Okay, they don't have beer. But. I also haven't addressed the situation.
0: That's a brilliant example, really brilliant example. So in that person's mind, what is behind that strategy? Why have they adopted this approach?
1: I chose kind of an emotionally charged example because think about, you know, anytime you have to confront someone about behavior, they're telling them something that they may or may not be ready to hear, like, I think you have a problem. They're making up a lot of stories about, okay, what would it be like if I were to confront this person about what I'm perceiving as a problem? What if they don't see it as a problem? What if they get mad at me? What if they get upset? What if they leave me? I mean, you know, you can go through a whole spectrum of responses from, oh, they'll just get a little grumpy and say, well, you know, I'll go get it myself to I can't live with this, I'm I'm out of here, you know. So as the person who is deciding to be, you know, either intentionally or not intentionally passive aggressive, it's primarily because you want to avoid what you are assuming is going to be a huge blow up. And something that will ultimately compromise the entire relationship, potentially.
0: I love this example and the description you gave here, too. Because essentially, that is exactly what they're doing. They're avoiding the difficult conversation. Mm -hmm. And what this show and your show is all about is how to actually engage in these difficult conversations. What I found is that a lot of times people have a conflict management strategy or negotiation (laughs) strategy that is based 100% on hope. (laughs) <laughs> it's like, well, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, hope, I hope this just changes.
1: <laughs> right, like if I keep forgetting, he'll forget or she'll forget that they ask for it. Eventually, it'll just go away. Kind of the animal that will stick its head under the couch and think, if I can't see you, you can't see me. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of the equivalent of that, like just sort of sticking your head under the covers and thinking, okay, if I just stay underground a while it'll go away and right. it never does
0: <laughs> and what we're seeing here is that it's a an evolutionary fear response we have Mm -hmm. the fight flight and freeze so fight is engaging in a kind of inappropriate aggressive manner this is closer to the freeze or flee you're running away from the conflict or just freezing in the face of it but with a little bit of fight (laughs) underneath it but (laughs) but you're doing it in a way where you could create a little bit of plausible deniability so you could avoid the conflict if it really does come if they call you on it
1: yeah. Thank you for that phrase, plausible deniability. That's, And probably someone who is acting in a passive-aggressive way is a master at that.
0: Exactly. I think for the listeners who might be tempted to engage in this type of behavior, we've probably done a decent job of dissuading you from doing that. <laughs> um, I, <think> so. I, <laughs> I hope, hope so. so. So I want to focus the majority of our attention for the rest of the conversation on how we can deal with somebody who is being passive-aggressive. What do you think we can do to address those issues?
1: I think first is, well, one thing that I appreciate, um, thank you again for mentioning How Can I Say This? Um, The podcast, one of the guests that I interviewed early on is named Cindy Noble, and she is a conflict coach. And one of the listener questions that came up was around passive aggressiveness. And her first piece of advice was to drop the label of passive aggressive. You know, she said, as soon as we put a label on something, then we kind of put it in a box. We make up stories about it. Um, We're assuming things about the other person. That doesn't necessarily move us forward. You know, sometimes labeling something can help us deal with it and unpack it. But at the same time, it can limit the curiosity that we have because we're coming into it with certain assumptions. So I really appreciated that invitation to question even the assumption that somebody is acting passive-aggressively. And once you start noticing passive-aggressive behavior as, as it is, you know, defined, you start noticing it everywhere. And I think, like, say you're the partner who is, you know, to go back to our beer example, say you're the partner that's being denied the beverage, and you suspect that the person who's you've asked to buy it for you is being passive-aggressive. And what you're asking me, Kwame, is, like, how would that person then perhaps engage that other person in conversation? Am I following you right? Okay. First, you know, is to maybe recognize their motivation. And we talked a little bit about some of those motivations being on the spectrum of just, I hope it goes away to I'm afraid you're going to leave me. And most of the time, it might not always be true. But I would guess that for most people, if you're in a relatively healthy relationship, the motivation is to keep the other person safe. So think about the partner that doesn't want to buy the beer. They're just like, I want to protect you. I don't want you to be an alcoholic. I don't want you to die early. I don't want you to have liver problems. So the motivation of the person that is passive aggressive is actually, in their mind, perhaps coming from a place of love. Whereas the other person who's sort of the victim of the passive aggressive behavior is thinking, you're just trying to sabotage me, you're trying to make me unhappy so for that person who is seeing themselves as the victim of the passive aggressive to maybe step back and say, okay, you know, why might this other person be not fulfilling my wishes? What is it that they might be hoping for? What are they afraid of? Cause that's really what's underneath the passive aggressive behavior is some level of fear. So to, To think about that and reflect on that and then be able just to ask an open question and say, you know, I find it interesting that the last, you know, couple of times that I've asked you to get this for me, you've forgotten or they're out of stock or, you know, something, you know, is, you know, is there something else going on or, you know, what, what do you think is happening here? What I'm suggesting here requires, I will admit, quite a bit of (laughs) self-awareness. And patience and um, ability to kind of reflect on the conversation and remove some of the emotion from it. But I would hope again, you know, that as, you know, anyone who's listening to this and thinking about it, they have that, you know, it's like we, we can develop that capacity to be able to step back and reflect instead of having a knee jerk response and saying, well, you idiot, why do you keep forgetting? <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> so to be able to kind of step back and say, what is the motivation? And often the motivation... Even if we don't agree with the motivation, or we think that the motivation is flawed in some way, it's what's true for that other person. And so to be able to acknowledge that and say, you know, because it might be that that person's fears are unfounded. I know you might be worried that I'm drinking too much. But I can assure you that I'm really conscious of what I'm doing. It's under control. I do it for the taste, not because I want to get buzzed. I mean, you know, it can be all sorts of things. Of course, it could turn out that this person is a budding alcoholic. (laughs) But let's kind of dial it back a bit. Because as soon as you assume that person's a budding alcoholic, then the conversation is probably going to get very charged and emotional and difficult
0: to sort through. I love this. This is great. And I think one of the things that really makes it difficult for us to engage with somebody who's being passive aggressive in a meaningful, tempered type of way is the fact that as humans, and most of my listeners are humans, um, <laughs> <Before> we, <laughs> we, we we enjoy having control. Hey, you, I'm Andrew Seaman. Do you want a new job? Or do you want to move forward in your career? Well, you should listen to my weekly show called Get Hired with Andrew Seaman. We talk about it all, and it's waiting for you, yes you, wherever you get your podcasts. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. More to-dos, less time, and so many tools to keep track of. We yeah. feel safe when we're in control. And yeah. even when our control is to our detriment, we feel safer having control. That's why you feel safer driving a car, even though it is significantly statistically more likely for you to die in a car accident than in the air. In the air, you're more you're safer than anywhere else, <laughs> really. Yes. Um, yeah. but you have zero control and that makes us feel afraid and uncomfortable. Yes. And so we're almost Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead.
1: (laughs) I was almost going to say, I thought when you were talking about driving a car, I thought you feel more control when you're in the driver's seat than in the passenger seat.
0: Exactly. And the passenger
1: is probably, it's like, why do we, what is it called? Backseat driving. Where do you think that comes from? It's because it's like, we feel like a loss of control and we're trying to get it back in some way. And that's what we're
0: seeing with this passive-aggressive behavior. We see somebody is trying to control us in some way. They're doing it, but they're doing it in a way where again, there's plausible deniability, but we see that they're trying to have an impact on us, but prevent us from recognizing that impact. And that's what really bothers us. So we respond aggressively. And to the point that you mentioned about assumptions, that's critical because really what an assumption is, is the process of filling in the gaps in our information. And the problem with that, like you said, is that it stifles curiosity. Above all else, Conflict is an opportunity to learn. It reveals the Mm -hmm. truth. And if you fill that gap with assumptions, then you are impeding your ability to learn. And I think if we were to approach these conversations in a way where we're not saying, I'm going to confront this person or I'm trying to convince this person, but we say, this is an opportunity for me to learn more about this behavior. It'll make it less threatening for you and less threatening for the person on the other side.
1: I'm guessing you can back me up on this but even as people who are aware and and you know have these kinds of conversations for a living we can still get stumped and and I'm thinking of a time recently I was part of a, a mediation and there was a lawyer that I in the negotiation itself and the mediation was labeling as being passive aggressive he was fidgety he was clicking his pen he was shuffling through papers all while other people were talking he was sometimes leaning over and whispering to his client And my mind was going like, okay, what is this guy doing? He's being so, he was late for the negotiation, you know, for the mediation. He was the only person we had to wait for him. And so I'm thinking he's just posturing, you know, he's trying to be distracting. He's kind of sucking the energy out of the room. He's doing this because, you know, he wants to just kind of puff himself up in some way. I was making up all sorts of stories. Right. And I recognized it in the moment and I wasn't quite sure how to respond to it. I kind of I kept hoping my fellow mediator who was co-mediating with me would address it. So I wouldn't have to. (laughs) And that might be another form of passive aggressive, like sort of (laughs) like keeping quiet so that you hope someone else will deal with the sticky situation we didn't say anything. And he eventually sort of settled down. And I think what it ultimately was, was that he really wanted to speak like, you know, he wasn't called on first, and he really had something to say. And, and so by labeling that passive aggressive, it kind of made me sort of freeze up, like, I don't know how to deal with this. Where instead, like you were saying, if I had turned to curiosity, let go of the story, and just been able to say, perhaps like, you seem unsettled, is there something that you need? Or, you know, can we do something? Or do you have something you want to say sooner rather than later? You know, something that perhaps maybe gave him a little bit of space and just gently shined the light on the behavior without making up a story about it or trying to call him out on it.
0: And you know, what's interesting, sometimes we uh, make a mountain out of a molehill. And uh, the person's like, Oh, I'm doing that. I didn't exactly. I had no idea. I had yes. no idea. Um I was working with uh somebody recently. He was one of the uh like a lead attorney for a pro sports team. And so he was saying that with his body language a lot of times he's criticized for seeming closed off and cold. But what's interesting is that with the way he was raised with his religious upbringing, crossing your arms, folding your arms was a sign of reverence. Oh. And so from a young age, he always did that. And so now as an adult in, in professional settings, people think that he's closed off or judging what they're saying because his arms are always mm-hmm. folded. He's like, I don't know that I'm doing this. <laughs> this is just yeah, what my exactly. arms do. Yeah. But no. by actually saying, hey, Joe, is everything OK? Yeah, I think everything, everything's fine. Why? Well, your arms are crossed and your eyebrows are down. It's like, I had no idea. That's how I think.
1: Exactly, exactly. exactly. And so to release the assumptions that looking at him saying, oh, he's closed off and he's being cold and unengaged, check it out. Notice the assumption that you're making up in your head, you know, notice the story, and then find the words to just check it out with a simple, open-ended question that will hopefully start With an open-ended question that will hopefully start the conversation.
0: One thing, I was talking to a friend um, earlier today, actually, and I was saying, with my relationships with my friends and family, I am constantly in a state of conflict. But not in a a bad way. Because whenever I recognize some kind of discrepancy or some issue, I treat it as a signal for investigation. And mm-hmm. when I approach it in a way that's compassionate with curiosity, it's funny, I'm blending my term. I just mm-hmm. I should just say compassionate curiosity. I made that yes. up. Just use, it. Yep. <laughs> yeah, just use uh, it. Yeah, so with compassionate curiosity, they are really receptive. And not only are they receptive, but they're appreciative because they recognize that I'm doing it because I do care. And that's how it is in a social type of setting, but also in a business setting. If you're willing to point out to somebody, hey, I'm noticing some behavior here. I'm noticing X, Y, Z. What's going on? Is everything okay? Something like that. You never know what the problem is. Maybe they need help. And it's a way that you can be creative in the negotiation and exchange value in a new way. And you can use that information kind of like as a bargaining chip. That's good. Yeah. But at the root of all of this, whether it's social, familial or or business, we're all trying to manage these relationships and recognizing and investigating um, what we initially label as uh, passive aggressive behavior is going to do wonders when it comes to strengthening these relationships.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And And if we're honest with ourselves, we've all acted in a passive aggressive manner at some point in our lives, if not on a daily basis, then on, you know, a semi regular basis. And sometimes we do it because we are trying to protect someone and it is harmless. But most of the time, it's simply kind of a front, you know, a response to avoiding a difficult situation. And in that case, it helps to think also, like, if I were the one on the receiving end of the feedback about whatever it is that somebody doesn't want to tell me, how would I want to hear it? What would I want them to say? How would I want them to approach it? And Think about that for yourself. I mean, it kind of goes back to the golden rule of treating others how you want to be treated and tapping into any empathy that you might have for their, you know, allowing that to bring forth some empathy as you talk with them.
0: And I think back to those times when I was passive aggressive and I'll own it. I, I've done it before. Mm-hmm. It never works.
1: No, it just nothing. it just
0: never works. It's like all I do is put an an inconvenient little speed bump. And now they end up still doing what they want to do, but just a little bit more annoyed. Uh, you yeah, know?
1: yeah. It's like you're kind of turning. Uh, just as you were saying that, I had this image of somebody sort of turning a screw. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like it can in some ways, if you realize you're being passive aggressive, it can feel good in the moment. Like, you know, that I mean, you know, little tiny things I think of. um like say you work in an office setting and you know that the receptionist it drives her crazy when you leave your documents on the copier when you're done or something and you know this or you you don't wash your your mug when you're finished with it and you just leave it in the sink you know that that bugs her but yet you do it anyway and you sort of take this little silent pleasure that she's going to come to the sink and be like <laughs> here we go again, you know, can't they learn, you know, of really like annoying somebody. That's sort of another level of passive aggressiveness that is not necessarily about, (laughs) you know, protecting someone. It's about control. And it's about Mm -hmm. like, I think your rules are silly, but I'm not going to tell you, I'm just going to defy them. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't work either. I mean, you know, just as I'm describing it, we're thinking, what is this kindergarten? But yet adults, act like that all the time.
0: (laughs) It's true. It's true. And what's funny is that it's uh, psychologically, the harder you have to work for something, the more you appreciate it and enjoy Mm -hmm. it. And so what it is, is that in your mind, you have to justify the effort. Well, I worked really hard for this. I must really like it. And so when we put these little impediments in front of people, you're making them work harder for what it is that they want and then they get it anyway because it's ineffective, and then they like it more, and they're just more entrenched in their position. So not only is it ineffective in that it doesn't lead to the the outcome that we want, but also it might take us further away from where we want to go if we engage in passive-aggressive behavior.
1: Yeah. I mean, basically, passive-aggressive behavior is a wedge in healthy relationship, And it can only serve to drive you further apart. And that has a ripple effect. You might think it's just between you and one other person, but it really does affect other people as well. And it affects you, even if you feel like this moment of guilty pleasure, because you've, you know, stuck it to the man or whatever, that comes back to you. And it becomes part of who you are. And I'm sort of speaking in a, a slightly woo woo energetic way. But I make no apologies for that. <laughs> it's like how we choose to treat other people, it becomes part of our DNA. And ultimately, we will start to think that that behavior is okay with with other relationships. And then we'll stop even noticing it. And we won't have the ability to check out our assumptions, to be curious and to engage the other person.
0: And, you know, it's like you said, you'll start to do it. Essentially, you'll start to do it more. You're creating (laughs) a bad habit. And if there's one thing I want people to get from this podcast is that I want you to develop the habit of engagement because we might tell ourselves, well, I'm not sure. I'm, I don't know how to do it effectively. Well, practicing is the best way to do it. And as we yeah. get older, the relationships we have will have be higher stakes. We'll have mm-hmm. more responsibilities in our social and family lives. And then we'll also have more responsibilities in our professional lives. So every time we have the opportunity to engage in conflict, it's practicing for the next one, which will be higher stakes.
1: As we were talking about before, at the root of some of this is about control, which means that in order to engage the other thing, the one thing I would ask you to stop and do is just check your ego. (laughs) You know, notice where your ego is getting in the way of engaging with this other person, because I believe that having a, a healthy conversation requires a good dose of humility. There's a possibility that your story, your assumption is wrong. It's possible that even your position is wrong compared to the other person. And so being able to have some level of humility and checking your ego at the door is going to go a long way to being able to have that engagement that we're talking
0: about. Congratulations. You've just joined an elite club. By listening to a full episode, you're now officially on the Negotiate Anything team. So welcome aboard. What most team members do is they subscribe to the podcast because that allows them to automatically get the latest episodes of the show